You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 56. Welcome back, Curd Nerds. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Well, I've been a busy boy in the kitchen this week. Um, I made two cheeses over the weekend, and uh, one was Asiago, which is a it's an Italian Alpine cheese. In fact, it's um, hang on, let me just check my notes here. It's an Asiago Papato, so it's actually got uh, green peppercorns in it. Um, and there's two types of um, Asiago, apparently. One is one, sorry, one is one. <laughs> one style is one that you can eat at um, 20 days or 21 days, uh, so three weeks. And the other one, you leave it for about a year and you can grate it very similar to uh, Parmigiano Reggiano. They're all in the same sort of family, but uh, yeah, it has a, a um, from what I've read, I've never made it or never eaten it before because it's very hard to get those sort of cheeses here in Australia. It is, uh, it it doesn't taste like Parmesan. It actually tastes a little bit like Emmental. How do I describe it? It's a, a nutty type flavour is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, and the other one is uh, Piora um, and the, uh, the proper pronunciation for Piora is, you know, let me just get it up here. Formaggio d'Alpe Piora. Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, so it's a cheese from Alpine and it's called Piora. Uh, that's actually made in Switzerland, in the Italian speaking part of Switzerland. Um, so Piora is, uh, it does have some tiny eyes. So uh, we'll see how that one goes as well. But yeah, this one's going to take about six months to mature. So we'll have a, a taste test video on uh, cheeseman.tv to see how that goes. Anyway, let's get to uh, this week's uh, email questions, which are taken from Ask the Cheese Man episode five. So on to today's questions. Uh, the first one is from Wise. Now, I'm not sure where Wise is from. Okay, it says, hello, Gavin. I, I believe I'm a huge fan of your videos and YouTube channel and have to say your work and skills are amazing. Thanks, Wise. Appreciate that. Uh, I have been following your clips and I'm struggling to make my own cheese. Whenever I attempt to make the curd, it always ends up a gooey, ends up gooey and not a solid particle. I'm learning to make mozzarella first and using citric acid and both animal rennet and vegetable rennet, depending which is to hand, and each time this issue occurs. Can you provide any advice as to what I'm doing wrong? Your guidance is greatly appreciated. Kind regards, wise. Now, and uh, I think what the issue may be, without having any other information, uh, especially when you're following the recipe that I posted up to the letter, is the type of milk. Now let's go through the, the different milk types for cheese making. So obviously back in uh, episode uh, three, we talked about raw milk, raw goat's milk in particular, but raw milk. 
and that is the best milk you can get for cheese making. Obviously, the next one is one called cold-pressed milk. There's a new process here developed here in Australia where they actually put the milk under high pressure and it kills all the bacteria, all the bad bacteria, in the, uh, in the milk. Now, it's very expensive, mind you, but it actually has a cream line and everything. Um, so it's a form of pasteurisation. So that is the second best type of milk to use for cheese making. The next one is pasteurised milk, but it's unhomogenised. So homogenization basically is when they force the milk through some micro filters. These filters are smaller than the actual fat globules in cow's milk. And what happens, it breaks the fat up and it then becomes, um, uh, it becomes a suspension and it can't rise to the top. So unlike um, unhomogenized milk where the cream rises to the top, with homogenized milk, the milk stays, the cream stays suspended within the milk solid itself. Anyway, so pasteurised, unhomogenized is the third best, uh, and that's the one I can readily get my hands on and I use in all of my cheese making videos. The next one is uh, pasteurised and homogenized. Not ideal, but you can add calcium chloride, as I do to all mine anyway, um, and that will hopefully you'll get a lot better curd set. Back in the past when I first started cheese making and before all of this unhomogenized milk came on the market, that is all I had and that's how I used to make a lot of my uh, cheeses. And thankfully today there is that option of having unhomogenized. But homogenized does work if you add the equivalent amount of calcium chloride as the, which is the same as the amount of rennet that you're going to use. So the fourth one and the fifth one really shouldn't rate a mention because the next one is ultra-pasteurised. Ultra and ultra-pasteurisation is where they uh, flash heat the milk and it destroys most of the milk proteins as well as the bacteria and then they cool that down rapidly. Ultra-pasteurisation, you cannot set a curd to it. It is almost impossible. And I think this is where wise may be having a problem uh, with the, the type of milk. So it'll be very hard to get hold of ultra uh, of pasteurised, homogenised milk that hasn't been ultra-pasteurised. So that could be the issue-wise. And then the final one is ultra-heat-treated or UHT milk. The only thing you can make out of that, as well, uh, the same as ultra-pasteurised, is ricotta. Basically, when you hit it with a lot of acid, um, you can actually curdle the milk. And, uh, and strain it once you've heated it up and you can make ricotta out of it. But it doesn't have the protein structure in both ultra-pasteurised and ultra-heat-treated to form a solid curd. Uh, you're just wasting your time if that's the sort of milk you're going to be trying to make cheese with, unfortunately. Anyway, so hopefully, Wise, I've answered your question. I reckon it is the type of milk you're using. If you can get your hands on some normal pasteurised unhomogenized, even homogenized milk that hasn't been ultra-pasteurized. So you have to check on the bottle. Usually it says it. If not, then try a different brand of milk and hopefully it'll all end up well. Okay, the next question is from Joe. And Joe says, Hi Gavin, I am really new to cheesemaking and live in the United Kingdom and hope you could provide me with the questions, oh, with suggestions to two questions. Uh, can you recommend a semi-soft cheese to make 
not really overly difficult, that has a bit of bite to it. So not bland that I could make uh, and that in the future, when more practised, I could start to add different flavours to. Uh, all right, we'll answer that one first, Joe. Uh, I reckon uh, because from the your neck of your wood, from the neck, your neck of the woods, uh, kafili is the answer to all of your troubles. I think uh, kafili cheese is a video tutorial on the channel. Just go and search for it. Uh, it's actually ready in three weeks. It has a cheddaring process in it, uh, but it is heavily salted to form a solid rind really quickly, and it has a, a probably a, a one centimetre thick rind. It's a natural rind, so you don't wax this cheese and you don't vacuum pack it. You let it create a natural rind. And basically the inside of the paste is is uh, is not runny. It's solid and firm. Uh, tastes great, but the rind is just amazing. So you can actually add things to kafili. Uh, as well, different herbs and uh, and and spices um, to spice up that cheese. So the second question is uh, then also a softer cheese with some attitude. And where can I get the recipes? I am an extra strong mature cheddar fan myself, so I can understand why I am looking. Uh, sorry, so you can understand why I'm looking for some bite that is quick to produce. I will be grateful for. Uh, if you could point me in the right direction. Best wishes, Joe. Uh, thanks, Joe, anyway, for your question. So the second one, hmm, let me have a think about it. Soft cheese with some bite. I think the queso fresco cheese that I made, uh, which only takes six hours to make and is ready to eat straight away, uh, if you add chilli to that, you'll definitely get a bite, but probably not in the same bite as a strong cheddar cheese. I would say, once again, uh, kafili aged to probably two months will give you a strong bite as well, uh, whereas cheddar needs at least six months before they call it um, a mature cheese. Uh, vintage cheddar is up to two years. Really, it is a bit hard because all good cheeses or all hard cheeses need time for the lactic bacteria to convert the lactose that's still in the cheese into lactic acid, and that's what gives you the sharp taste and the uh, the crumbly texture of those matured cheddars. So, kafili again, I think. You could even try the uh, derby and omit the sage and age that for two to three months. You'll get a quicker uh, bang for your buck there as well. Also, there is a Lester video that I have as well, which has a cheddaring process, uh, and I think that's ready in three months as well. And that was quite sharp, if I remember rightly. So, Joe, there's some suggestions there for you. Hopefully, um, you'll find those videos. Just search within the channel and you shouldn't have too many problems at all. Well, there you go. If you want to see those sort of episodes, they're over on my YouTube channel, uh, which is cheeseman.tv, so you can just pop over there. Or within YouTube, just just search for Gavin Weber and you'll see a lovely smiling face of me uh, making cheese. Let's get stuck into some voicemail questions, and I've got a few here that we'll get into right now. So the first one is from Amanda, and Amanda 
is a regular guest on the show, and uh, she is from Alaska. So let's just play her question. Hi, Gavin. It's Amanda in Alaska again. I had another quick question for you. I also keep bees and use them for harvesting honey mainly, but I'm sometimes left with a bit of beeswax, and I was wondering what the difference is in the kind of wax that you use for cheeses and if it would be possible to ever use my own beeswax to wax my cheese. All right, thank you. I actually, I think I've tackled this one before, but I'll, I'm not on this forum though. So the uh, beeswax, yes, you can use it for cheese making. Uh, just make sure that you heat it up to kill any probable bacteria or what have you that may be in the um, in the cheese uh, in the cheese wax in the uh, in the beeswax. The difference basically is that cheese wax is a microcrystalline wax that is very flexible. Um, it has a low melting point. Uh, probably so very similar to what beeswax does, and it uh, it doesn't lose its sh- its shape um, per se, and it is soft and malleable enough that you can um, use it for things like cheeses that uh, breathe. You know, anybody who's made a, a Yalsberg or an Emmental or any sort of cheese with eyes in it know that cheese does breathe. Um, because the bacteria within the cheese creates uh, carbon dioxide and makes the cheese expand. So the good thing about uh, cheese wax is that it's, it's, it, it stretches with the cheese. Sometimes it cracks, but then you just recoat. It's no big deal. I think that uh, if you use beeswax, you, will have, you won't have too many issues because back in the olden days, that's all they had. They didn't have microcrystalline wax. Um, but whatever you do, and I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't expect that you, Amanda, would, would do this, but um, don't use paraffin. Paraffin has a high melting point. It also doesn't dry very quickly, and it's based on a petrochemical, um, so it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be good if it came in contact with your cheese. Uh, plus, it's very hard, uh, and it does crack readily, so it's no good for cheese making at all. Uh, but, yeah, give uh, beeswax a go if you can collect enough of it. First started cheese making, I uh, bought a kilo of microcrystalline wax, the the proper cheese wax, and I just reuse it over and over and over again. Well, thanks for your question, Amanda. Uh, the next, uh, it's not really a question, but it's a, it's just a lovely voicemail, uh, and this one's from Stefan. So here is uh, Stefan's voicemail. Hello, Gavin. This is Stefan from South Africa. Uh, I just finished watching your uh, Choda video, which I enjoyed uh, tremendously. Um, I enjoy actually all of your videos. I've been watching, binge-watching your videos today and uh, just wanted to drop you a line and say thanks for the great work. Uh, you really make it easy to follow. And you make it easy to understand what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. Please keep up the good work. Well, thanks very much, Stefan. I really appreciate it. I'm glad, uh, yes, that binge-watching is a great thing, uh, especially on something that uh, you're passionate about. And, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I think it's 100 cheese-making videos minus probably two that are about my clay oven um, that I made uh, out of materials in my backyard. So I thought I'd leave them in the channel. 
uh, after I rebadged um, my personal channel as my cheesemaking channel. But, yeah, you should be able to binge watch uh, lots and lots of cheesemaking videos from the channel all the way from South Africa. That's very impressive. Thank you very much, Stefan. Uh, the next one is from Vanessa, and we'll just play that one. Hi, Gavin. I live in the United Kingdom. Um, can I buy your kits and have them shipped to me? And if so, how much is the shipping? I've really enjoyed watching your videos and I'd really like to start making cheese. Thank you very much. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Vanessa. Uh, yes, we do. I actually answered it personally, uh, th this question. But yes, we do ship all over the world. There's about six or seven countries where we don't ship to for cheesemaking equipment and, um, uh, and ingredients and kits and all that sort of stuff uh, because customs won't allow us to ship um, bacteria that's been freeze-dried, even if it has been freeze-dried. So uh, unfortunately, there's a few that we can't ship to. Uh, but yeah, we do ship to many, many countries. So um, the shipping calculator is on the website and I better say the name of the shop. So it's uh, littlegreenworkshops.com.au and you just go to the um, the cheesemaking section and you'll see all of the cheesemaking equipment and supplies there for sale. So, uh, And there's a shipping calculator on the cart page um, so you don't have to go all the way through the checkout to find out how much your shipping is. Um, thanks for your question, Vanessa, uh, and hope to um, converse with you soon. One more, uh, and this is from Tony. We'll just play this one. Hi, Gavin. I just watched your... Um, video on making feta. I made some feta recently using the Mad Millie cheese kit and it uh, worked out well it seems. Um, then I grinded it for a few days uh, in the fridge and I tasted it last night. It tastes fantastic. So what I've done now is put it, cut it into cubes and put it in some olive oil in a, in a sterilised jar with some rosemary and some uh, garlic cloves. Uh, my question is how long can I keep it in the fridge stored in this way? Thank you. Well, thanks, Tony, for your question. Um, yeah, it's a good one too. I have personally kept feta in olive oil with herbs and stuff like that for at least six months before I didn't think it tasted all right. Being in the fridge, make sure you keep it in the fridge, of course, because it will go, the olive oil will go rancid and so will the cheese. It gets very sour and bitter. Um, so keep it in the fridge. Now, you will notice, for those who are going to try this, that olive oil actually does turn into a solid at about, I think it's about 7 degrees Celsius. Uh, so what's that? 40-something Fahrenheit. Yeah, so it goes solid. So if you want to stop it from going solid, what you can do is use half olive oil and half sunflower oil. And uh, sunflower oil doesn't go hard in the fridge. So um, you can do that, um, give it a good shake and... Uh, yeah, it'll last up to about six months. I've actually had feta in brine uh, in the fridge for over six months, I think about 12 months, because uh, the way they make it in Greece, they basically put it into big oak barrels, so similar to wine barrels, uh, fill it up with brine, oh, sorry, put the feta in, fill it up with brine um, and seal it all up, and they leave that there for 12 months to ferment. And, uh, yeah, and that's traditionally how they make feta anyway. And I don't think it's at any special temperature. I think it's a, a cool area, so I wouldn't say it'd be any more than about 13 degrees Celsius. But Greece is pretty hot. But, uh, yeah, definitely that's how they make real feta. So I think your feta will last a long time, Tony. 
Anyway, mate, thank you very much for your question. <laughs> well, I think that's about all we've got time for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate you um, visiting the podcast on a regular basis. Um, it's good to see that uh, by looking at the statistics that I can see through my um, hosting service that uh, each episode's getting about 2,000 downloads, which is fantastic. Um, it's lovely to see. If you want to leave a question for the show in the voicemail section, don't forget you can pop over to littlegreencheese.com and you'll see a little sidebar on the on the right-hand side if you are using uh, your desktop browser. If not, pop over to the Contact Us page and you'll see there will be a SpeakPipe widget where you can record your voicemail. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily reply to them, but I do play... Uh, the vast majority majority of them on the show. So uh, don't hesitate to leave me a question. It may not get answered for a month or so, but if it's not pressing, then yeah, yeah, certainly answer it. But if I see that it needs to be answered, I'll answer it there and then through another means. But anyway, that's how you leave a question for the show. I'd appreciate if if you had any burning questions, then... Uh, don't hesitate. There's no dumb questions as far as cheese making goes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so that uh, website, again, is littlegreencheese.com uh, and you can go to the Contact Us page or there's a little widget on the right-hand side for those using a desktop browser. Now, don't forget that uh, you can buy, uh, if you wish, any of the kits, ingredients or supplies from us. Uh, we have a little um, online shop. Uh, we also... Uh, teach classes on a weekend, cheese making classes, as well as um, some other things like soap making and candle making, trying to keep everything nice and green and natural. But you can uh, pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au and go to the cheese section and you'll see all the goodies here I've got there for sale. Anyway, I'll stop waffling on now. For recipes and workshop dates, you can pop over to littlegreencheese.com and you can also get a copy of my ebook, which features uh, over 28 recipes and includes a link to my video tutorials. That's called Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home. You can pick that up on Little Green Cheese in PDF format or you can go onto Amazon or Apple iBook Store and purchase a copy there. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll be back with the next exciting episode of Little Green Cheese podcast very, very soon. During this podcast, you heard music by Kevin McLeod. You heard Malt Shop Bop and Call to the Dairy Cows. See you, curd nerds. Oh, stop that.